Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we are doing our big 150th episode. Woo! Yes! I don't believe it, Andy. All right. I'm very excited. We've pro- survived so long. I think I blew out my microphone on, on the big woo, but it's fine. Hey, yes, 150 episodes of Offscript, 300 films reviewed, something like that. Maybe not actually 300, but close, I'm sure. Uh, I figure we'll talk a little bit at the end of this show about our, our, our feelings and thoughts about how it's all been, but uh, real quick, any initial impressions what do you think 100, 150 man it's a big day um yeah it's been incredible we've seen so many movies uh we've seen a lot of trends come and go you know we saw the the rise and fall of movie pass uh the the pandemic uh day and date releases uh premium video on demand you know like the, we've seen a lot of things the, the rise and fall of dc and rise again you know yeah uh, the end of of you know phase one two and three Endgame uh, with Marvel so it's it's been quite the, quite the ride it's true it's been quite the experience I never would have thought when we started this 150 short episodes ago uh, that I would be no in the know from everything to what's in the theater now to popular trends to telling people at my wedding that you are technically actually a doctor yeah that is true and that you are the dr draper from <laughs> the Spread, dr so. draper was there. uh we'll talk more about the big 150 at the end of the episode right now we are doing a blowout of a show three reviews in one episode we said we would never do it again and here we are doing it again <laughs> so it's going to be a bit of a long one today but that's okay we've got kind of an amended show to uh, get us through these reviews hopefully and keep us timely uh first we're going to look at the suicide squad very excited we took a watch and uh, we're gonna let you know if it's not whether or not it's worth your time we're gonna look at the green knight david lowry's uh cinematic vision made manifest by a24 we took a watch we're gonna let you know what we think and we also took a look back at old you know it's been out for a couple <laughs> weeks uh but we talked an awful lot of smack about this movie it seemed like we wouldn't be doing it justice if we didn't actually bother to go see it we did and we'll let you know if it's worth the price of admission uh we're gonna look at some trailers some things that are coming up and of course before we get to all of it we need to look at the news our first story idris elba joins sonic 2 as the voice of knuckles the echidna andy this came out like just now right this is right before we started the show (laughs) yeah absolutely uh the first sonic was a big hit it was probably one of the last big hits before uh the the pandemic era made over 300 million uh, at the box office so real big success um sequel was greenlit right away and we knew that knuckles was going to be in it but we didn't know who was playing them uh until until just this afternoon and of course idris elba is going to lend his voice talent to this he's phenomenal in pretty much everything he can't get do a bad performance so i think it's a good choice yeah, I, I think it's a solid choice as well. Uh, I've, heard some, I've heard some people saying, oh, we should do a vo- the voice like uh, the character he plays in The Wire, which shows that I haven't seen The Wire because I would know his name. Although a slipper or something. Str- Stringer, Stringer Bell. Stringer Bell, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't. I can't speak for Stringer Bell, but what I can speak for is that Idris Elba is a solid actor. And the first, Sonic, the first Sonic movie was not that bad. I feel like the internet really wanted to not like it, and it really wasn't that bad. I think he'll be an asset to the second one. And uh, Knuckles the Echidna is a... Is a, is a beloved character in the franchise, right? Like, how, how could he be bad? He's a gruff and tough kind of individual, maybe a little street, as the Broccoli family might call him. <laughs> uh, you know, I think he'll be good, right? It'll be great. It'll be great. So Yeah, and I was reading in, in this article that, uh, you know, Knuckles is initially uh, an enemy or a bad guy in the uh, Sonic verse, and then eventually kind of they become friends and make up, and he joins the team. So That's right. We, we, we got a character arc built in here. That's what it's all about. It's all about making friends on Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, our next story, Warner Brothers commits to an exclusive 45-day theatrical window with AMC for 2022. 
I'm going to be honest. We've been doing the 150 episodes of the show, and I still don't really know what this means. So I'm hoping Andy can break it down for me and the rest of you if you're at home. Andy, AMC Television, Warner Brothers Media. What is this day and date thing they're talking about? Okay, so the way things are right now is that HBO slash who is owned by Warner Brothers, uh, they do what are called day and date releases, and that's where they release essentially the hybrid release, both in theater and on HBO Max, same day, no extra cost. Uh, so that's day and date release, basically at home and in the theater. Um, the the results have been kind of mixed. Uh, you've had things like Mortal Kombat and uh, King Kong, uh, Godzilla vs. Kong do very well. Uh, but then you've had, uh, we're going to talk about it in a minute, Suicide Squad not do so hot and some other properties not do as well. The theory is, or one of the theories is that the um, that the, the home release is cannibalizing the theater release, which is probably true to a, a certain extent, but there's a, lo- there's a number of other kind of, uh, there's a, no- a couple of other options or issues going on there. But that's day and date release. Uh, what this means is that uh, starting in 2022, we're not going to have day and date hybrid release anymore from what we'll have a kind of what's become the new tradition is the 45 day window about six weeks where the theater will play exclusively the movie will play exclusively in a theater before being available for rent rental and and streaming and all that so uh this is a big change because it used to be 90 days um and this changed over the pandemic but you know it's kind of a pendulum at we swung all the way to same day release and then we got away you know we were at 90 days so this is kind of somewhere in the middle well i don't think it's bad i guess i should say uh as as a consumer i love that day and date films have been available on hbo um it's been really nice it's been really easy to watch stuff especially considering the pandemic you know if you don't feel safe if you don't want to go out brave brave the crowds uh wear a mask good news you can watch stuff at home it seems like that's going away and and that's okay you know like it it was a bit of a pipe dream to assume that this was just the way the future is going to be um but man it's it's going to be weird uh not having that next year and it's going to be weird with hbo having a little less HBO Max having a little less value, right? Like not getting these sweet day and date deals, but I suppose it's all right. I'm bummed to see AMC getting away with another one. Dude, I, if, if anything, 150 episodes of Offscript has taught me, it's that I don't like AMC theaters. <laughs> and I used to work for well, them, which is crazy. W- well, it. I mean, this isn't set in stone. I mean, this is this is a deal for one year, just like the day and date release was a deal for one year. We'll see what happens at the end of 2022. Also, di- no one's said a word about disney is disney gonna continue to do day and day releases with an additional charge uh we don't really know so uh, you know not everyone has to follow this model and you know they're still figuring out what is kind of the best model given the circumstances that's true um i wonder how warner brothers will look in the rear view uh come 2022 how they'll look back at this kind of move with hbo i mean i know on the legal side, it had ramifications this year, pushing everything to day and date. I mean, I, I know they they caught a lot of flack from critics. People in Hollywood said they didn't want to work with Warner Brothers because they were just pushing stuff straight to theaters. Like it was a whole thing when they announced this uh, at the end of last year. And 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 it's been great on the consumer side for me, but I can definitely understand their desire to get back to something more regular. If anything, I do like the 45 day window. That sounds way better than like the whole 90 day wait, you know, three months to get stuff at home. That's it's ridiculous. So this seems like a, a decent compromise, which ultimately, you know, that's, that's what a compromise is. It's two people. Yeah. Not I, getting what they it's want. a good, 
it's a good step. I think ultimately we're still headed to day and date. One, it may, it may be five years, might be 10 years, but eventually that's probably going to be the model. In in a way, I think maybe Disney has the right idea where, okay, you can watch it at home day one, but it's going to cost you. Um, so we'll we'll see. And we'll, I mean, these things are continuing to develop and change and uh, that's good. We'll stay tuned and see what's going on. That's true. Keep it here on Offscript for more. And uh, last review, Suicide Squad opens to a lowly $26.5 million as moviegoers stay home amid delta variant andy suicide squad was a bomb didn't you hear it was a flop they they blew it it was it was a horrible failure or was it what do you think well it it hit below estimates which were around 30 million so it it came in disappointing numbers no one expected this to be a huge hit like you weren't gonna do uh black widow numbers or marvel numbers uh you know it was a weird semi-sequel semi-reboot to a film that did okay uh, the first one made over hundred million, but I mean, it's still kind of a flop, uh, by those numbers and DC was really lost their way for a bit. Uh, also, also COVID. I mean, th- there's a lot of reasons why this isn't doing very well and it, it was available uh, at home. So a lot of people probably stayed home, but I mean, the numbers are still pretty low. So even the cannibalization of through HBO max is probably, you know, you're not going to get 30, 40 million from not showing it at home. Um, so, so it's a little disappointing that way, but it was critic. It has been critically acclaimed. It's been very positively reviewed by both uh, critics and audiences alike. Yeah. And we'll get to a review in, in just a second. You are right though. It has been critically acclaimed, which is good. It's a good sign for what we're going to talk about. Uh, regarding, you know, the, the box office numbers, it's worth mentioning Warner brothers only predicted this was going to make about 30 million. So this is only like 3.5 below what they thought it was going to be. So no, it's not exactly a big flop. We of course don't know how much they made on HBO Max, like with the with the day and date release there. Um, for all we know, they could be doing a lot better. Uh, you know, those, those numbers are unclear and they're going to keep them internal and it's fine. The, the big indicator of whether or not this movie worked is whether or not there'll be another one. And just, just from the critical reception, I feel like there will be. It may not be James Gunn at the helm, but I feel confident saying people think this is one of the better DC entries and ultimately that's going to matter more like it, that, that will, that will have the longevity to carry your franchise. You know, if this was just another flop, it'd be a big miss. We all sigh. We, we move on, but this came out and I think a lot of people were interested. And I think that means that ultimately, yeah, it may not have killed it at the box office, but there's also a new COVID variant on, right? What matters is the cultural, uh, the cultural buy-in. And they've got some here with James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. Yeah, it, it's a lot of people have, have watched. And I, again, we don't know what those streaming numbers are like, and we'll probably never know. But um, yeah, it's a it's a I don't want to get too much in the review, but it, it's a fun time. And a lot of people have watched it. And I would definitely, you know, get get in line for a third one. Yeah. Well, with that, let's jump into the review. I suppose that's the best place to go. Uh, Andy's graciously agreed to take the summary on this one. So, Andy, please take it away. The Suicide Squad. You gotta be kidding me. You're gonna risk the entire mission for a mental defective dress as a court jester. This is coming from a guy that wears a toilet seat on his head. We don't leave one of our own behind. Hopefully Harley's still alive. No funny business, Colonel. These are dangerous people. Team two is clear to go. Fire up. Three, two. What are you guys doing? What? You, we're, we're here to save you. You were gonna save me? It was a really good plan, too. Well, I can go back inside and you can still do it. That's patronizing. I'm so sorry. Harley Quinn. Bloodsport. So this is the latest 
reboots uh, slash reboot slash uh, remake slash semi-sequel to uh, 2016's uh, Suicide Squad, originally directed by David Ayer. That movie had really mixed reviews. Uh, it's really kind of bad. I did rewatch it before seeing this just for a comparison. Um, it's a snooze fest. It's hard to get through. There are some good performances in that one. Will Smith is good. Margot Robbie is good. Uh, but they went back to the drawing board with this. And, uh, you know, they really kind of ignore the first movie. Like, you know, we have some familiar characters, but they don't reference anything in the first movie. That There's no plot points or anything moving forward. It's just kind of like, let's just start this thing over. Um, so anyways, our story is the Suicide Squad, for those who aren't familiar, are a group of criminals, villains who uh, get contracted to do black ops work uh, and get time off their lengthy prison sentences. However, if they disobey or try to escape, uh, a little device implanted in their head will explode at the request of Amanda Waller, played brilliantly by Viola Davis, uh, who was in the first one as well. In this one, we start at... Uh, this country called Corto Maltese, a fictitious South American country, which the Suicide Squad has to assault in order to uh, take on this secret scientific project that must be destroyed so it's not unleashed on the world. Um, as soon as they hit the ground, a lot of things go wrong, some things go right, and they have to slowly make their, their way through the island to, to the, the facility. A lot of action, a lot of laughs. Um, and that's kind of our, our basic setup. I won't get um, too much more into it. We have, again, returning favorites. Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. Uh, Joel Kinnaman as Rick Flagg. Jai Courtney as Captain Boomerang. And newcomers Idris Elba as Bloodsport and John Cena as uh, Peacemaker. And part of what they did is they don't have a lot of big names in this. In fact, they, they kind of went to purposely went to the bottom of the barrel of characters and took on the challenge of making them interesting. So we have people like Polka Dot Man, like Rat Catcher, like we said, Peacemaker, um, these kind of really weird off uh, off the beaten path DC characters. Um, and you know they took on the challenge of making them fun and, and interesting. So that's our setup. Zach, what do you think? Uh, so first of all, the Suicide Squad is much better than the original Suicide Squad. For sure. Uh, I've tried to watch the old Suicide Squad a couple times now. David Avery's uh, original film, uh, it is bad. It's bad. I can't, I can't, I've tried. I've fallen asleep twice trying to watch the, that film, uh, in the evening. Uh, meanwhile, James Gunn's the suicide squad is much, much tighter of a film. Uh, it's got some middling audience reception. It's got like a B plus. Um, but critics mostly agree. This is a strong entry for DC and a very, very good, uh, step towards something better for them. Uh, I think James Gunn is a big part of that. I think his cast is a really big part of that. And I think ultimately like Warner Brothers just letting off the reins a little bit and saying, okay, you know what? Here's a bunch of characters you can just throw in a blender. We don't care, you know, and, and letting, <laughs> letting the creatives kind of do what they want to do. I think ultimately produces a much better film. Remember Avery's suicide squad in 2016, I think. Yeah. Um, reportedly had a lot of studio intervention and this one reportedly had much less and i think it is markedly better for it i'm excited to talk about it there's a lot of good stuff going on in the suicide squad yeah the number one thing is that it's just a lot of fun you know it's not a serious kind of you know it's not like the dark knight and it's not dark and grim like a lot of dc's uh, early early dceu films 
are we're having fun from the from the beginning with our our characters uh there there's a lot again there's lots of action a lot of people do not survive the film i'm not gonna <laughs> who's who that is is uh, you'll have, have <laughs> yeah. to see but, but but you really don't know anyone could go at, at any time uh, and that's a lot of fun uh as well but it's it's really funny uh there's a lot of really good jokes it's also it's it's rated R, which uh, part of the reason is it has very, very strong violence, and that kind of it's different for DC, and it also it it really help, aids in the humor because you have this like over the top, really graphic, really gory uh, moments, and in, in amongst these like fun comic book characters. Yeah, um, I, I this movie in a lot of ways reminded me of you know something smaller budget and a little bit more indie, like like an Edgar Wright film uh, almost, or or like a Sam Raimi picture, and and. Uh, I also often thought of the movie, I guess the property, I should say Watchmen, which if you haven't seen Watchmen, uh, it's about it's a it's a DC property or it's a vertigo. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's about a bunch of, of superheroes who um, have to kind of contend with some larger, larger beings at work. Uh, most of them are not mainstream. You're not going to see Batman or Superman and Watchmen. You're going to see smaller offbeat you know, heroes who are kind of doing their own thing. And that's exactly what's going on here. There's a couple of big ones, you know, Harley Quinn, Bloodsport, I suppose is a big one. Uh, otherwise like pretty small heroes. And I love that this movie doesn't shy away from like, just outright murdering them like for a laugh. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's great. Cause you don't get that in comic book movies right now. You don't, you get the exact opposite of that. Like every hero has value. I mean, in Marvel show, Marvel movies and shows, nobody dies nobody's ever everyone's really coming gone. back everyone's no, coming no back. ever really gone yeah <laughs> and in 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 james Gunn's the suicide squad like people die horribly and it's it's playing for a laugh and like it's funny because it's fresh and it's new and it's different and it's brutal and grisly this is an r-rated film uh for violence and gore for sure and 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 i love that <laughs> i love that about it i love that it feels different um yeah yeah, so I mean, uh, wh where to start? Well, uh, I mean, I think we've already kind of covered that this is a follow up from the original. Uh, I, you know, having not really seen the original, something I was really impressed with was just the opening of this film. Uh, it opens with a short, probably 10 minute sequence that very quickly outlines why they call it the Suicide Squad, right? And and, and we open with a character who is being plucked from this kind of prison uh, that they're that they're all being kept at, all these all these bad guys, and they get a quick explanation. If you survive the mission, you get 10 years off your sentence. If you don't, well, that's the way it goes, kid. Uh, and they all sign up to go out and do it, and then they land on this beach at night, and then like awful, awful things start to happen to them. All hell breaks loose. Yes, yeah. all hell breaks loose, and you get a very practical explanation to why it's called the Suicide Squad because the odds are you're not coming back. Like if you sign up for this mission, <laughs> the odds are you're not gonna survive. And I love that because it it makes it feel very genuine. The first film, it felt like they were using Suicide Squad as a moniker to generate some buzz for marketing. Here, it's like, no, no, you will die, and it'll be terrible. Like, and 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 nobody would want that fate for themselves. Welcome to the Suicide Squad, kid. Yeah, I think in the first one, only one person dies in the Suicide Squad, and it's like a Z-list character. Yeah, they don't even get a, get like a backstory moment. Um. Yeah, that's the other thing that this movie is much more efficient. Like it explains the whole premise in about the first five minutes, you know, do this mission, get time off your sentence. If, if you disobey, your head gets blown up and that's it. 
in the first one where there was like an hour of like slowly explaining every character's backstory. It took like an hour for them to become the Suicide Squad. And then they had to like take on something. It was so uh, laborious. And here this movie's moving. It's moving really quick. We do get some backstory and some flashback stuff, but it happens after kind of we've had some action and, and we get, get, we're up and going. Yeah. You also spend very little time uh, at this facility where they're all being held captive. I mean, m- mere moments of the film take place there. Otherwise, it is exclusively on location on the, at this site at the court at the Cordo Maldives that you said. Yeah. Uh, where they are dealing with this, uh, you know, suicide mission, I should say. And that that's a lot of fun. Like that stuff feels really fresh. You, you've got you've got your characters mostly on location. And even though I'm sure a lot of it was in sets, it felt like they were away from a set. It felt like they were out doing their own thing. You know, it didn't always feel like they were wandering through the woods per se, but like it definitely felt like our characters are on a mission. They don't have a whole lot of support behind them. They kind of have to figure it out for themselves. And they're like this goofy cavalcade of people with like the oddest powers and and positions like one you know poke polka dot man's easy to poke fun at but like at one point like he starts to look like disfigured and there's never <laughs> really a great explanation for that and, but it's like a laugh like and then yeah you've got another character mon gal she's a laugh because she's weird and you never really find out what her deal is and like I like that this movie doesn't overstress that stuff. Like it, it, it explicitly is designed as like, Hey, this is going to be like a bad guy, a superhero, bad guy, meat grinder. And we're just going to throw a bunch in best superhero, bad guy wins. Let's see what happens. And then they come out the other end and it's like, man, what, what an experience. Um, you wouldn't think it would work on paper, but it totally does. Yeah, it, exactly. It's, it's just, it's so much fun. And, you know, they took on the channel, like someone like Polka Dot Man, which is just like a, such a ridiculous character. And they purposely took him on and said, okay, we're going to make this character fun and interesting and kind kind of give him some, some heart here. And, and it totally works. And it, they do that with, with the rest of this uh, cast of misfits um, as well. And somehow you end up just caring more about these characters and a lot of the, the one, the big names in, in the major, in the main, more mainstream films. Yeah. James Gunn said that when he kind of sat down and looked at the suicide, suicide squad and what he wanted to do, he wanted to pull from this kind of original vision of the suicide squad in the comics. Like, and that there's this innate tragic element to supervillains who aren't even good at being bad. Like they're not even good bad guys, right? Like they're not even like the Joker who's out like terrorizing Gotham. They're they're the bad bad guys. They're they're the they're the really bad ones. So like you develop this kind of funny sympathy for a few of them over the course of the film just because like <laughs> they're they're total rejects. Like they're not even good at being bad guys. And like you start you kind of start to feel sorry for a few of them, which is great. Like that that sympathy helps you develop better relationships with people like Harley Quinn. It also helps you develop relationships like people like John Cena's The Peacemaker, who will be going on to have their own HBO show. Um, a spin-off from this property, which is crazy. Uh I like that this movie gives you the opportunity to get inside the head of somebody with superpowers in a totally different, fresh way. Um because yeah, like there's somebody you in a weird way have sympathy for. Like you don't feel bad for them, but like you, like you can sympathize, I guess, with like their struggles. Yeah, the I was gonna say they work so well as as a, a cast as a team 
uh, not not actually work well together, but it's there's so much um, just uh, you know good dialogue between back and forth. It's like the opposite of Justice because Justice League is like we have to band together and save the planet, and these like these everyone kind of hates each other. Like Peacemaker and Idris Elba are like having a pissing contest the whole <laughs> the whole movie. They both like get on each other's nerves. Idris Elba's just like man, we're just gonna die out here. No one's like this is gonna go so wrong. Like his attitude towards this whole thing. Uh, is really great and just like the camaraderie and it, it works really well and makes for a lot of good gags yeah Cena's peacemaker is a delight I mean he's a ton of fun walking around set because he's this guy with this just like total bluster about everything he does like he's somehow the best at doing it when it's like not only are you in prison but again you're not any kind of a-list bad guy like you're very low on that in fact it's not even clear why he's a bad guy you'd think a guy named peacemaker would be a hero right but that part never real. Well, you have to watch it and see if it comes to well, fruition. I well, guess. I mean, the, I mean, the the main reason is like his name is Peacemaker because he cherishes peace over everything, and but that means he kills a lot of people so that there is peace. <laughs> right. You know. Yeah. It's kind of like uh, you know, if, uh, if you want peace, prepare for war. Kind of. For sure. A- um, uh, Idris Elba's blood sport is in prison for shooting a kryptonite bullet at Superman. Um, you never see that sequence. They just say it in a throwaway line and then they move right along. And that's okay because it's not about Superman. Like, and it's not about blood sport shooting Superman, right? It's about this like goofy kind of misadventure. All of our, all of our, our miscreants are going to go on. Harley Quinn, uh, regarding the timeline, I should say with Birds of Prey, this is sometime after Birds of Prey. It's not really specific. Um, I forget how mm-hmm. that's identified. Um, I felt like I read it in trivia somewhere, but that's that's where this is. So she's kind of doing her own thing. She's a little bit more grown up. She's got an outfit that's based off the uh, Batman Arkham City game. A little bit more mature, uh, which is nice. Uh, we've got King Shark, um, voiced inconspicuously by Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Who has seen that? Probably the big are probably the biggest name on the cast list. Yeah, is not even at the top of the credits. Like they don't they don't advertise him or anything. Um Ratcatcher 2 is a lot of fun. Uh that is who plays her? God. That's a that's a great g- gag. Uh so Ratcatcher 1 is not here, but we have the I think it's the daughter Ratcatcher that's 2 right. and they they have they go in a whole explanation about how how and why that is but it's 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 those little jokes like that. Um I want to talk a little bit about more about uh Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. It's been really interesting to see the evolution of this character because when she came out in Suicide Squad, she was a uh, she was a hit just because Harley Quinn's Harley Quinn, Margot Robbie's a fabulous actor and they also just like put her kind of in the most ridiculous costume in that first movie like she's basically in like stripper wear daddy's little princess outfit yeah 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 and and i mean she basically everyone else is in costume she looks like she's in cosplay you know like it's like she's wearing these like super short shorts like really revealing and it's like you know and it caused a big deal by like look at how like men are dressing up as character it changed a lot when she did birds of prey and when she had a lot of say over how the character looked and dressed and that's carried over in into this because again we we've moved past the her relationship with the joker and like she's she's got a cool again she's got this big red dress that she kind of wears and fights in this whole time it's not like this overly sexualized thing so it's been an interesting thing to see that character progress yeah seeing her kind of grow into her own is is great uh peter capaldi is the thinker is 
Solid. I, you know, I know that man's an actor, but I'll never understand the, the confidence he has to show up on screen with like the goofy headgear he's got in this movie and <laughs> yeah. still like be be some kind of menacing or interesting. Like he's definitely like snively and, and weaselly in this film, but um, he's, he's he's not brash about it. And Viola Davis is tremendous as as Amanda Waller. She's kind of this antagonist driving our characters forward with her hand on the on the kill switch uh, throughout the whole film. And she's a ton of fun. Um everybody's good in this movie like solid performances all around i think the comedy plays really well i mean it's not it's it's just about a gag a minute and obviously when you're looking at a gag a minute film like airplane right they're not all gonna be hits but a lot of them are funny like i i laughed out loud more than a couple times when i was watching this film and like that's that's worth saying something and the action yeah, and is very solid yeah well i was gonna say uh before we move on to action that i i, I started re-watching this uh yesterday and i got about through the first hour and i still laughed at uh, some of the same jokes that i like knew were coming and knew that because it's still like really funny and really uh good writing but moving on action yes uh the action for this film is brutal and gory and bloody and a lot of fun. Um, it's nice to see superhero characters just kind of unloading, even if these are the B list, right? Even if these aren't the good ones, you it's it's a little dull when you see Superman just punch some some heroes at some bad guys out, and it's like, well, here they are, officer. Sometimes you want to see them go off a little bit, right? And like that's exactly what's happening in this movie. Uh, all these characters are throwing a hundred and ten percent at their problems physically. Uh, if they need to shoot somebody, they're not just going to shoot them. They're going to figure out a way to blow their head off. Like they're they're going to always figure out a way to have some kind of horribly gruesome, gory experience that's usually played for a laugh. Um, I know that sounds into like counterintuitive, but I promise it kind of works in this crazy, crazy uh, mind meld of a film. Uh, I love how colorful it is. And, and I guess that'll be more towards cinematography regarding action. Uh, what do you think, Andy? Yeah, the action is a lot of fun. Again, it's over the top violence, uh, and you got a little bit of everything. You got shootouts, you got hand-to-hand combat, you got uh, kind of uh, people using their powers, and a mix all all there between. Uh, Harley Quinn has a really great um, sequence. I won't say what kind of sequence it is, but she's got a really great action sequence about halfway through the film, uh, which is really awesome, and it's it's cool to see her do her own thing. That's kind of, that might become a stable because we see that in uh, the Birds of Prey movie as well. Uh, what's up? the the harley quinn like action yeah she has solo a action scenes yeah which honestly the one in birds of prey is better uh this this one does have a funny way of 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 kind of the cinematography and the action is kind of interesting i th- felt like birds of prey had a really clean uh series of like action direction and stunts performed at least in the initial harley queen harley quinn sets this one's a little bit faster in in the cinematography james gunn really likes to whip that camera around and gets a little nut, nut get get a little nuts with it, which is a lot of fun, uh, but but a little jarring, I think. But for the larger action scenes, I really appreciated the look of them. Um, the cinematography in this film is really solid. Uh, Gunn has he he usually plays it pretty safe uh, with his camera work, but on occasion he'll do something really cool, pull a trick, or do something different, or kind of show something in a way that's unique, and and that stuff stands out. Like I said, in, in parts of this, it feels like an Edgar Wright film. It feels really bold. It reminded me. Uh, the, the, the mix of, of gore and comedy remind me of like hot fuzz, the way hot fuzz will play 10 laughs and then have something horrendous happen to a character and then go right back to the laughs. Um, and this movie does that same thing. Uh, there's a great sequence in the end of this film. It's kind of the, kind of the climax when our characters are getting out of this car and, and they're kind of, kind of walk into this big, this big 
showdown it's raining and it is like supremely sunny while it is raining and it's so sunny it's just like solid white in the background you can't see anything but like the characters and the car and the rain and then just like this white field of nothing behind them and it makes no sense it makes no sense in the real world for anything to look like that <laughs> but it looks so rad like as they're walking through it and king shark like rips a dude in half in it and it's the coolest looking shot um <laughs> it's all kinds of cool things and and and, and the, the big bad in this film i think is is notable because it's much less forgettable than i feel like 90 percent of other comic book bad guys are right typically it's just some cgi fest some nobody alien from another planet who's here to take over the world this one it's just a little different and it's really smart because remember yeah that, that's that's part of what went really bad in the first one is again the first hour is, is spent on setup of the suicide squad and then all of a sudden there's some attack and it, one of the members uh hunt huntress enchantress she turns bad and like releases her brother and her brother becomes the big bad and he's just kind of like this god thing and it's yeah, it's completely forgettable. I have no idea what that thing's name is, is or was. I only remember because I just watched it like last week. Um, yeah, it, yeah, we have a really unique, very different kind of uh, antagonist. We have, and we have kind of several antagonists. Amanda Waller is an antagonist uh, a little bit uh, herself. So, um, yeah, it's very memorable kind of final showdown. Yeah. And um, ultimately, like, a solid package. Uh, I did like the music in this film. I think it's worth mentioning. It's a big indie soundtrack. It opens with a Johnny Cash track, and that's about the most mainstream one I think is in there. Um, otherwise, it's all stuff I've never heard. Uh, very, very James Gunn, right? Like, something he's listened to on his iPod when he's walking around set. Uh, and that's great, you know, because it makes it feel unique, gives it a bit of an identity, and has way less needle drops than the original film did, which I know hurt it. So, yeah. Any any, um, any thoughts on the soundtrack? I like the soundtrack. There's a couple of good songs. That was another big problem in the first one is that it was essentially trying to rip off Guardians of the Galaxy, which had a great soundtrack. So they tried to throw every pop, big pop song in from the last like, 10, 15 years in, and it was just it didn't work, and you knew exactly what they were trying to do. The songs didn't really fit, and there were so many. It was like every time there was a new scene, there was a new hit song that we'd already heard, and it just... Uh, it was pretty bad. And so this definitely shies away from that. We do get a couple of good n n numbers, but they fit they fit the action and what's happening on film so much better. That's true. And uh, overall, it's it's a solid package, I think. I think James Gunn managed to put something together here that's really unique. Uh, it seems like a nice shift from what he was doing with Guardians, a much more like PG-13 kind of kind of film. Uh, this one, he's way he's got way more clout to just throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks, you know, and, and it works. I think it's creative. I think it's new. I think I think honestly, between this and Shazam, uh, maybe a little Birds of Prey, maybe a little Wonder Woman, I think DC is starting to eke out maybe a bit of a direction here that's not Zack Snyder. Like they might be, they might be on their way to finding a tone and a feeling for a world of superheroes that is different from what Marvel is doing, but feels fresh and new and, and easy to embrace. Zack Snyder's Zack Snyder's DC is a world of gods and men. This is a world of yeah, men and idiots. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Men and morons. And like, <laughs> I think when the world is jaded from too many comic book movies, like maybe that's exactly what we need. So mm -hmm. that's the Suicide Squad. Uh, Andy, any other thoughts for final recommendations? I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend the Suicide Squad? Absolutely. 
It's a lot of fun. You don't have to have seen the first one. Uh, that's another bit kind of criticism of Marvel is like you kind of have to have seen all 18, 20 films to know what's going on. You can jump into the Suicide Squad uh, have not having seen any of the DC stuff. You're probably better for it um, and still have a lot of fun. Uh, it's available, again, in theaters and on HBO. So it's a lot of fun. I highly recommend. Yeah. Same here. Highly recommend. It is really solid. It, it is rated R, so big content warning. Uh, you're going to be getting into some, you know, you're going to be seeing some 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 gruesome stuff. Um, but it's never too serious. It's never it never takes itself too seriously. It never it never expects you to really it look inside yourself and have an introspective, you know, uh, consumerist experience about what it means to be a superhero and a god among men. Nope, never does that. It's just this goofy, like, 110-minute romp uh, <laughs> with the Suicide Squad. I recommend it. I think it's funny. I think it's fresh. I think it's different. I enjoyed it. I think we will see James Gunn's The Suicide Squad in the uh, in the first few initial offerings when you scroll down HBO Max and look at DC movies. This one will be one of the first ones on there because it's popular, and, and I think it's positive, and I think it's good. So that's The Suicide Squad. And, and with that, we need to jump into some trailers, some things we're going to see or have seen on the internet that we're going to be seeing later. Uh, let's jump right into it. Andy, you want to uh, transition for us? It's time for the trailer park. So we're going to try to go through these quickly because we, we got three to a long reviews. trailer, a long show. It's to fine. Um, to still do so the la the first one is uh, called the last duel um, and this is uh, kind of a period piece uh, starring Matt Damon Adam Driver Ben Affleck and uh, oh I can't remember the newcomer a woman uh, but this is takes place in in medieval times uh, Jody uh, Comer is the the woman uh, Adam Driver has been accused of sexual assault by uh, Jody uh, Comer's character and uh, so that leads to a duel between her husband, played by Matt Damon, and him. We don't know who's telling the truth. We don't know who's lying, but we know someone is. Um, this looks really gritty, really grounded. Uh, obviously, lots of themes about uh, sexual assault and you know belief and believing women and things like that. Um, I think this looks great. This comes out on October. Super excited for it. Zach, what do, what do you think? So the thing I, I'm most interested in this trailer uh, about seeing, one, uh, you know, nothing nothing wrong with Adam Driver in like a suit of armor. Solid. Uh, two, Jodie Comer looks like a lot of fun as a newcomer. I know she's been in Killing Eve, the television show. And most recently, we'll see her in Free Guy. Uh, she's the woman who I thought was like Emily Blunt, which is not Emily Blunt. That's that's Jodie Comer. That's her. Uh, she's she's the person opposite opposite Ryan Reynolds with the red hair. It's her. Um, uh, okay. Yeah, I know you wouldn't even recognize her. Like I just assumed that was somebody else. But yeah, uh, the thing I, I I like about this trailer is I like that. It's underrated, man, but Rid Ridley Scott does, like, old stuff like this really well. He does period piece as well. I mean, Gladiator, uh, uh, what, Kingdom of Heaven, I think was him? Like, yeah. he does this stuff well. You may not remember them that well outside of Gladiator, I mean, but he, he does he does period pieces like this really well. So I'm excited to see him kind of get back into that space. The thing I don't like about this trailer, and I know I said I'd keep this quick and here I am, I think it's really poorly edited. They do this thing with like silhouettes when like swords where they like cross over black. And I'm like, all I can see is no footage. I can see 10%, 10 <laughs> of what you shot. And then I can't see anything else because you're not showing it. And it's frustrating. And I hope it doesn't take off like Hans Zimmer and the Inception soundtrack on the trailer did and like become a trailer meme. But 
Uh, otherwise, it looks all right. Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, what's not to love? They did write this, which is a little concerning. You know, they also wrote uh, Good Will Hunting, Good which Will might Hunt. be great. But yeah, written by Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, directed by Ridley Scott. Anything could be happening in The Last Duel. Our next trailer uh, is for the new A24 film called Lamb. Lamb uh, features uh, Numi Rapace and a couple other uh, stars who I've, I've never heard of in a film by Vladimir Johnson. It is overwhelmingly Swedish, I'm going to say. Icelandic? I think it's Iceland Icelandic. Icelandic, yeah. It takes place in Iceland. Here, here's the summary. A childless couple, Maria and Ingvar, discover a mysterious newborn on their farm in Iceland. The unexpected prospect of family brings them much life and much joy, but something is unique. Something's odd about this young babe of theirs and that it's half human, half lamb. Uh, the trailer's really something else. Uh, it's it's very yeah. atmospheric. It's very introspective. It's a little funny. It's got some unique sound soundtrack choice. It is an A24 movie in every sense of the word. And I hadn't seen the trailer of this before I went until I saw Green Knight and then I saw it on the big screen for the first time. And I was like, man, this is this is the reason people go to A24 movies because I don't know what I'm going to get when I go see Lamb, a movie about a half half person, half lamb. But I know I'm it's going to be weird. And like, that's exciting. Andy, what do you think of the trailer for Lamb? Uh, this looks great. Uh, again, you, the setting is really interesting. It's out somewhere in rural Iceland, and it's uh, these people are like sheep farmers out in the middle of nowhere. They've had kind of family tragedy, either the death of a child or unable to conceive, and and the, they they become obsessed with this lamb child. Well, it's unclear if it's like half and half or if it's just like a lamb that they <laughs> all lamb see, yeah. see 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 is there, but like it gets gritty there's guns there's blood we like it's all basically i think everyone's gonna lose lose their minds a little bit like the lighthouse or the shining everything yes. everyone's just gonna go mad by the end but we it's exciting because i don't again what is it actually going to be about like what are the themes and, and meanings uh as yet to be seen so i'm excited for this looks really twisted new we rap pace is, is always good mm-hmm. and that leads us into king richard which is uh about uh, Richard Williams, the father of Venus and Serena Williams. Uh, so it's like a semi uh, uh, biogra biographical film, but it's it's focusing on their father. It's not about Venus and Serena Williams, which kind of pushes me the wrong way. That moves me the wrong way. Uh, but anyways, the trailer does look pretty interesting. Like I said, he he plays their tennis coach. He's working with him to play tennis and not grow up not just being good tennis players, but being black in a very white space and what that means for them and this is, comes out in, in november it's got oscar written all over it um it's got a good cast on bernthal dylan, dylan mcdermott uh also in it uh and again another will smith vehicle he he plays richard williams i don't know if i mentioned that anyways zach what'd you think um, I, I knew this trailer was coming, um, uh, back when HBO announced or Warner Brothers announced uh, their day and date releases with HBO through all of 2021. This was one of the trailers they had, or this was one of the titles they had. Hey, this movie King Richard is coming down the line. It's a Will Smith vehicle. He's, he's, he plays Richard, Richard Williams, the father of Venus and Serena Williams. Got it. And, and I remember seeing that and going, that's cool. He's totally not the story. Why would I care about the dad of Venus and Serena Williams, right? Like, I want to see Venus and Serena Williams. Or just one of them. Just pick one. I don't know. Like, and go that way. But uh, regardless, this trailer has come out. I've given it a watch. And I'm interested. Because I love Will Smith. And it looks very inspirational. And I, I, I think tonally it's smart. Uh, I don't 
understand how the movie is about him though like that's that's the thing that hasn't come clear to me and i I think that the film will probably do a better job of explaining that i don't understand what his i don't know i mean yeah i'm just like why isn't it about the girls like why isn't in the trailer why aren't we seeing like the names of the child actors that are playing them you know and it's like yeah, hey I mean, here's, I mean, here's what this is and it's like no it's just about him and i can't decide if the movie is about him because you genuinely have an interesting story to tell about richard williams or because you got will smith and you were like shoot <laughs> will smith is in our movie maybe we should just kind of frame it around will smith who like i, I don't know and I'm yeah interested i mean there's to not see. a lot yeah. of there's not a lot of uh, I, in fact, there's no like female sports biopics that I can think of, so I don't know I, why I you Tanya. make this. <laughs> that's the only one I got about black women, though. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I cannot think of any. Yes. Um. So you know, this is a real opportunity to highlight the two stars who are well. I mean, I didn't even know his his first name, for instance. You know. Right. Uh. So and it's you know it's one of those things. It's going to be about them, but also about him. But you got to get you know. I guess he was the name, but yeah, like I said, this rubs me the wrong way that it's not just the Venus and Serena Williams story. It's focusing on their coach, their dad, who is obviously, yes, an important figure, but he's not the star. Right. Otherwise it looks positive. And for all I know, Richard Williams has an absolute story worth telling. Like, but the trailer doesn't do a great job of showing that. It just is kind of like, here's the two stars. And then in the background, this is who's the movie, who the movie's about. And it's like, that's weird. So I'm interested to see it. I, I I'd like to see more, um, you know, being that it's not a big cinematic feature. This might be one of those ones that's prime for staying at home and watching on HBO, but we'll see. Um, I'm excited to see it either way. Yeah. And, and, and thank God Will Smith's getting some more work. Good Lord. That man, man needs to be in more films. Um, our last feature we're going to be talking about in our trailer park segment is called house of Gucci. House of Gucci is the story of the Gucci family. You know them. You love them. Something in your house probably has their name on on it. Something in your house probably has their name on it. Yeah, like the Gucci family is 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 one of, of a story of heartbreak and thrills and chills. I don't really know, actually. I, I don't know a lot about them. Uh, the film is directed by Ridley Scott. I know what you're thinking. Wait a second. Again. <laughs> we already talked about a movie directed by Ridley Scott in 2021. Uh, King, uh, the, what? The Last Duel. Yes, we did. And, and here we are again. He also did this film. It also features Adam Driver, just like that movie does. But this is not a Matt Damon, uh, Rob, uh, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck production. This is an adapted screenplay uh, from a book by sarah gay forden i'm excited to see this i like the cast uh we've got adam driver jared leto we got uh, lady gaga salma hayek al pacino jeremy irons uh, we've got some solid names in here uh and it looks very exciting very bouge bourgeoisie very lush uh what do you think of the trailer for house of gucci uh, i really like this because it looks like a lot of things about like kind of betrayal and uh you know kind of warring fashion fashionistas of fashion empires uh you know you definitely get this sense of like well you know that the house of gucci is old and established and we aren't going to change and there's younger generations or say well you need to change times are changing you have to adapt and they don't want to and that causes friction uh lady gaga is great i'm really excited uh for her performance and i i saw a side side video of her and the woman that she's uh playing in real life and it was like spot on oh really uh yeah so it's got it's got some godfather vibes <laughs> there you know it's just uh 
you know, the the biz the family business is in trouble, and then people want to take over and overthrow and and all these things. So uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, J- Jared Leto uh, is is doing a makeup thing again. It's been a while since we've seen him doing that, and he looks unrecognizable, which is great. You know, um, I ran this trailer for a couple I mean- <laughs> friends, and both of them couldn't place who he was in it, and I had to play it back for him. And they were like, "Oh yeah. my god, he's that dude!" Like, yeah, if you haven't seen it, it's, I mean- it's worth looking at. I mean, I'm usually here for Jared Leto hate, but you know, yeah, he 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 does look. Maybe he'll turn it around. Uh, but between Morbius and the little things, uh, and actually, so the Joker and Suicide Squad, uh, not a lot of love for Jared Leto here. But who knows? He could turn it around. Yeah, he, he might be able to turn it all around. And with that, uh, we need to talk about our second film of the episode. Like I said, we'll be doing old at the end, but for now, I'm going to be taking the review on this one. The movie is David Lowry's The Green Knight. Friends, brothers and sisters, who can regale me and my queen with some myth? The Green Knight is the story of Sir Gawain, or Gawain, or Garwin, or however anybody in this film would like to say it. Uh, He is a young, aspiring knight, played by Dev Patel, who arrives at court on Christmas morning to spend time with King Arthur and Queen Guinevere and the rest of the Knights of the Round Table when uh, disaster strikes. And a mysterious Green Knight arrives on his horse to court to play a Christmas game with any knight who'd be willing to participate. Uh, Sir Gawain steps up and he's 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 told uh, through a mysterious letter that he <laughs> has the opportunity to lay to land a blow to, to, to land a strike on the Green Knight in, in any fashion he wish, whether he simply give him a cut on the finger or he lop his fool head off. And then one year hence, he'll have to go to the Green Chapel that is six days away uh, by horseback and uh, receive the same blow back to him. And so Sir Gawain hears this and thinks, okay, I'll take your challenge. And then first opportunity, lops the Green Knight's head off. Well, turns out the Green Knight is not so mortal after all. He stands up, picks up his head, laughs at Sir Gawain, says one year hence, and then rides off into the sunset. And then one year later, Sir Gawain uh, has to make this pilgrimage six days from Camelot to the Green Chapel. I think it's six, maybe seven. Uh, to mm-hmm. face the Green Knight and uh, ultimately face his destiny and maybe find his honor as a knight. Uh, this is a very bold cinematic vision from David Lowry. This is an A24 film, so you know you're going to be getting some creepy stuff, right? You're going to get some weird horror imagery, and hopefully it'll make you feel something when you're sitting in your theater seat. And I certainly did. Hopefully Andy did as well. Andy, what did you think of The Green Knight? I really liked it. Um, it's definitely a very challenging film. It's you are not spoon fed what is happening, and a lot of other things in the film. It it is telling storytelling through the through the mechanism of cinema, which is primarily visual. You are shown a lot of you are shown everything and not told very much. Um, again, the broad strokes are there. He's he plays the Christmas game. In one year, he has to go and challenge, or, or you know, receive the the blow from the Green Knight, and kind of goes on adventures uh, and has to overcome obstacles along the way. But th- this movie is just—it's really dense and really deep, and it's about a lot of different things that we can get into a little bit later. It is loosely based on um, um, like a, a poem, a medieval poem about the Green Knight and Sir Gawain. Um, that's a very classical kind of you. You have an upstanding knight who's you know comes to on challenges and he does the right thing because he's a knight. 
uh, you know, it's very kind of elementary that that way. We do not get that kind of story here. We get someone who is who has no honor, who is not a knight, who is kind of like we first see him in in a brothel on Christmas morning, like waking up and he has to run run to mass, run run to church, and th- this is the this is our character, and then he. He is someone who has no tails, and so he must try and... He, that's what he wants. He wants to try and get this this life. But he starts out as a man with no honor and has to kind of become that along the way. So it's, it's a very different kind of telling of the tale. And there's also lots of... Th- there's things that, that aren't in the original um, uh, tone poem. There's uh, it's a mix of different legends as well thrown in here, as well as some uh, real life events. So some people were complaining that, oh, you know, if you haven't read it, like you're not going to have any background. You don't need any background. Everything that you need to know about the film is explained within uh, the world of the film, because like I said, there's lots of outside influences. And there's just really if you read if you go back and do research, you're just going to notice everything that's different. Um, but there's so much tone, there's so much mood, uh, great performances, and you know, like what this is and isn't about it, like it'll keep you thinking. Uh, so I really enjoyed it. Where should we start? Gosh, uh, I think probably on the legend, right? Because that's where uh, the Green Knight kind of kicks off. It's, it starts up and it says, you know, legends of old, tales of past, uh, swords and stones, that kind of thing, ladies of the lake. Uh, it's not, not what this movie's about. Uh, this is about one individual. Like Gwen. And it's not about the Knights of the Round Table. It's not about King Arthur. It's not about Camelot. It's not about Excalibur. All this stuff's in there, but none of that is the center of attention here, right? It's simply Gwen, a young knight, trying to go find his courage, right? And 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 find the destiny he seems to be on on course to have, uh, whether he wants it or not. Um, the Green Knight does a really great job of respecting its audience. It thinks you are a smart person. And it says, hey, you're an adult. You can you can look at something visually on screen and you can discern your own messaging from it. Right. And not a lot of people do that. Not a lot of people like that at the movies. Right. The odds are the people going to see Fast 9 and Transformers 8 don't want people to have don't want to have to decipher like their films from from the screen. They want they want it to be told to them. Right. Just kind of tell me what's up. Get me to the action. Get me to the goods. The Green Knight does not do that. The Green Knight's a little bit more cerebral. You still get some really good action, some really good stuff, but the Green Knight expects you to know a little bit, right? You're, Andy's right. You don't have to know Arthurian legend to go in here, but it really respects it. And if you do know a little bit about it going in, you really like it. I mean, you don't have to know a lot. I, 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 it does it does give you the goods right from the start. It does give you a little bit about King Arthur and the Knights of the Round. Um, but it also doesn't hit you over the head with it. You know, when when Arthur shows up on screen, it doesn't come up with like a subtitle on the bottom. It's like King Arthur. You know, he's the guy that pulled the sword from the stone. Guinevere doesn't have a label under her. I'm not even sure anybody ever addresses them by name in the film. You, no, ju- you just no, know that's exactly who right. it is. Yeah, because you know what you've signed up for here. Like you have an idea of what the Green Knight is. You know, it's Arthurian legend. Um, there's a great sequence early on when, when Gawain is handed Excalibur for a moment and like this wonderful breadth of awe that kind of comes over the scene as this light kind of comes in behind Gawain as he picks up the sword and and the music kind of swells. It shows how much this stuff means to the character, to Gawain, how important Arthur is to him, how important Excalibur is to him, to Camelot, to being a knight, to having purpose. It shows it just in this moment, him holding a sword. 
it shows what that is. And it's able to do that without telling you, look, it's Excalibur. It's the sword from the stone. Like it doesn't have to. Hey guys, yeah. Yeah, like <laughs> remember? It, right. Remember when this happened? Like it doesn't it doesn't elbow you in the ribs and like expect you to figure it out. It just kind of presents it and says, Hey, come along with us on this kind of whimsical journey. And then from there. We get the descent into the deep, dark madness when the Green Knight shows up. And I love that. That stuff's exciting. So I love the way this film respects the lore and 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 plays into that instead of trying to run in a drastically different direction or say that it's something it's not. It really pays homage to what came before in a really, really good way. Yeah, it gives us a Camelot of... of that's not like in its prime. We Arthur is old and he's... You know, kind of on on his in his last years, as is Guinevere. You know, when the Green Knight first shows up, um, King Arthur says, "You know, my body wants to leap over this table and you know fight you, but it can't. You know, so who else among among you will take up this this challenge?" And and you know, th- there's also Merlin is in here too. He's never explicitly named. You just know kind of uh, who this is. But you know, it's it's dirty. Again, we we find Sir Gawain in a brothel at, at the beginning. There's you know animals and stuff. it looks like an actual medieval town instead of just like the uh, an arthurian legend like we would kind of imagine a very hollywood uh version so it's it's very dark and and gritty and i mean like people are understand like arthur's a little hard to understand because he's <laughs> again he's old and uh he's he kind of has a strange accent uh but again the this this idea of you got to get out there and do something with your life. It's a little bit of a failure to launch <laughs> situation with, with Gawain and uh, his mother, who who's a uh, uh, witch warlock uh, also has a hand in this uh, as well, but her and King Arthur's family, like they want great things for him and they want him to kind of grow up and do things like do great things. Yeah, you're exactly right on the on the kind of failure to launch bit. Gwen is a young knight and like he is he's gone on very few adventures, right? And he has not uh done much to make a name for himself and he's kind of just enjoying the benefits of knighthood without actually having to put in any of the effort. So when presented with the opportunity to to defend his his crown and his king and his country, he he literally leaps at the chance, jumps up to say, "I will fight this knight. Like I I will do it. Like this is this is my burden. I'll do it." Um, and then he is is saddled with like the the immediate repercussions of having to deal with the fallout from that. Um, and that's, you know, a, a big step for him. And then having to go on this kind of journey. One, one of the things I think people, at least in my house, were concerned, concerned about when we saw this. Christine really wanted to see it because she loves Arthur and Legend. She loves the story of the Green Knight. And she was afraid this is going to be a lot more horror. Uh, because it's an A24 film and she doesn't watch a lot of those. She thought, well, this is going to be scary. And and I'm, I'm pleased to say it's not. Um, the, the Green Knight uses a lot of horror elements. It uses a lot of horror imagery and it certainly instills some horrific tones without ever actually hitting you with like a jump scare. I don't think, I think there's kind of one once, maybe if you want to call it a jump scare. Otherwise, Laurie never does it. And he so easily could have. There are multiple scenes in this film where, where Gwen is seeing something of, of witchcraft or mystery where he easily could have hit you with an orchestra sting and cut the camera real hard and would have scared the hell out of everybody in the audience. Never does it once because it's not what this movie's about. It's, he's not trying to scare you. This is not a horror feature. This is about somebody finding something inside of themselves, plucking up the courage to be bigger. 
And that's inspiring in a small way. And that's not something I expected to see from the Green Knight, right? Like you don't you don't think it's going to be any kind of a, any kind of think piece. Like you assume it's going to be a no, pretty yeah. simple thing. Yeah, like a, a fantasy action adventure. Yeah, what's, what's interesting is that, you know, uh, he slays the Green Knight, and in, within the year while he's he's waiting for the year to go by, you know, he kind of get, gets a little bit of this uh, legend about him. People are like, you're the Green Knight, you, you, or you slew the Green Knight. Um, and he gets a little bit, you know, overconfident. Fine, And he doesn't actually want to go and seek out the the green knight uh for for this adventure but uh he's he's kind of realized well it's a little bit of an imposter syndrome he's like well now i got this legend everyone's expecting me to do this i can't not um and so it is interesting because he sets out you know sword axe shield you know uh his steed and uh things go wrong like right away and he 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 has to then still like complete the, this quest. He can't like because everyone's expecting him to be gone for you know a week and uh, to come back with a great tale. So he he kind of has to persevere. And again, he's not he's not honorable kind of until the the end of the the film. He's still you know kind of looking for the easy way out through most of this. But he learns kind of through. Uh, through trials right ultimately this is this quest uh, of to to reach kind of this finish line and what's so interesting is you don't really know what happens when he gets there right will will the green knight return the blow will will he lop off Gwen's head just like Wayne did to him without remorse without question or will there be some kind of self-reflection will there be a moment of no this happened and this worked out and i think that's what makes it so captivating because by the time you get to the because you never know and the movie never gives you a hint what's going to happen the whole time Gwen's like i really don't want to go like this is this is not going to work out for me you know as this year kind of goes on you get this wonderful visual of this like children's puppet show outside the castle where like local puppeteers and jesters play up this tale of Gwen and the green knight as, as the year passes on and, and more time goes, Gwen steadily gets worse and worse, right? Because he knows this fate is, is coming for him, whether he likes it or not. And then when he sets out to kind of go on this adventure and, and, and pluck up the courage, that's when he starts to kind of come into his own and we start to find him as a character. At the beginning of the film, he's relatively unlikable. He hangs out at a brothel, right? He's doing nothing. He's handsome, but Deb Patel's handsome. Uh, finding his way. That's what, that's what makes him a character worth listening to. That's what makes him a legend, right? That's what makes this stuff last. And that's what, that's what gives this feeling, that this gives this film such weight. The feeling that there are dozens of Arthurian legends like this one. Imagine if Lowry had his chance to tell five of them, you know? Like, this is great. It's a great, it's a great interpretation of the legend. Right, it, and we're talking about how he's not unlikable that I wanted to talk about a different character. Uh, Lisa McCanders in this, and she plays a woman from the brothel named Essel, who is um, kind of Sir Gawain's go-to person. And, you know, they have a conversation before, uh, you know, before he sets out on his journey. And she says, you know, have you thought about like, you know, maybe us being an, an official thing? Like I could just, not work at the brothel and I could just be your woman. And like, it's, and it's very clear. He's not interested in that at all. He's a knight. He's from the aristocracy. He's not about to marry or have anything officially to do with, with someone from the brothel. So he's really, really unlikable, uh, from, from the beginning. And, uh, she, uh, we, we get to see, um, her several times throughout the film, but it's, it's a very, 
again, uh, David Lowry does a great job of having us not like this guy uh, when we first meet or, or just show that, you know, he's not night material at all. Right. He's a kid. Like, he's, he's a young dude who's running around doing his thing at the local brothel, you know, whatever. Like, that's that's kind of what you'd expect. So what you see on the poster, these vibrant colors and this this yellow cloak and this big axe, like, we have to find that. You know, David Lowry has to find that. And he brings us along for the ride. Um, I was really pleased with Green Knight overall. I, I was really pleased with it. Um, I, I enjoyed it a lot. There's a couple of small missteps i did feel like we start to feel the edges of the budget in some scenes there's a lot of scenes with 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 not a lot but i should say a a fair number of scenes of of deb patel walking through the woods which like i you're literally a night walking through the woods looking for a chapel of course of course you're gonna be walking through the woods but it did start to feel a little bit like other films i'd seen recently like gretel and hansel or um yeah, I thought of like Sam Raimi's Evil Dead, like with some smoke machines just <laughs> off stage, you know, just simple stuff like that. Also, uh, the film features title cards that are frankly just too hard to read. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're very ornate the way, uh, you know, a medieval manuscript would be with like tons of a giant letter and all this uh, drawing around it. Um, yeah, there was one title card I couldn't read both times. You've seen it <laughs> twice. Else can, yeah, right. I saw it once. Yeah. And- yeah, somebody pointed that out to me after I'd seen it. They said, hey, the title cards are there to read. And I, th- I thought, okay, it wasn't just me. They're full screen and and they are laid over. It's text laid over like a shot. So like when there's a transition, it'll be, you know, see Deb Patel walking through the woods and it'll be a full screen text layout over him. But they're short. They fade out really quickly. And they're also so big and they're all different old fonts like germanic fonts and so they're just hard to read and you don't get a lot of time so they go real fast yeah yeah so between that and maybe a couple too many shots just hanging out in the woods like uh, otherwise like this movie's real good it's real good man like there's a lot of really good work in this film any other thoughts for recommendations yeah i wanted to mention the the score Oh God! Um, yeah, who of is, course. Who, who is the same person that uh, I don't have it pulled up, but uh, he did the score for a, a ghost story Let's see if I can as it. well, which which is the other. And he also did Ain't Them Body Saints. Uh, both David Lowry features, which, right? Yeah, yeah, which starred uh, Rooney Mara and Casey Affleck. Uh, both excellent films. Uh, the score is a mix of both, like medieval sounding and also very very modern. Uh, basically, what, what the composer does is. He uses period instruments. Like there's lots of like flute and lute and those those kinds of uh, medieval instruments. But he composes them in a very modern way. It's very like uh, there will be blood kind of modern score. Um, but there's also like traditional singing in, in things. So it's it's a very like it really helps dive you dive into the world. Um, excellent score. I put, added it to uh, my ever growing list on Spotify of uh, film soundtracks. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good fit then. Uh, yeah, this is scores rock solid. A very very good to listen to. And again, I didn't I didn't really get a chance to talk about it a whole lot, but the cinematography is really good. Um, some really solid coloring. Um, a lot of really great use of light. And I think Lowry's a big fan of the practical effects, and it shows. Like, just feels like a good solid A twenty four feature. Really pleased with this one. Andy, any other thoughts for recommendations? I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend David Lowry's The Green Knight? Absolutely. Um, a really incredible fantasy telling of, of this tale. Very modern as well. Again, the, the original uh, tone poem would be kind of boring. 
uh, to see. So he does a very interesting treatment of the work. Again, there's it's the legend, but also mixing other legends and also some real life elements. Uh, it's very visual. There's a, it's a lot of things to think about. There's going to be there's still things that I'm like, I'm not real sure what that meant. Um, but it's interesting to kind of think through. And again, it's about a lot of things. It's about honor, but not like, you know, medieval honor. It's just kind of about like becoming a good person, what it means to, to really be an honorable person and, and to kind of grow up and be a leader. And it's about so many things and it, it, it's influenced by a lot of movies. I really in, enjoyed it. So highly recommend. Hmm. Yeah. Same here. I highly recommended. I, I like this one a lot. It definitely does not have to be a film about Arthurian legend if you don't want it to be. I mean, I know that's kind of the framework here, but yeah, it's, it's a story about a young person who is striving to find themselves and, and, and find their purpose in the world. And uh, to, to meet this kind of expectation that everybody has of them to, to exceed it maybe. And uh, Deb Patel's brilliant in it. I mean, Laurie's doing some great work. I'm excited to see his next feature uh, would recommend the green Knight all around really solid. And with that, we've got one more film to look at. Uh, <laughs> how are we doing on time? Okay. All right. Yeah, we're, this is normally where we'd be wrapping the show, but you know what? We, we took a couple of weeks off to get ready for 150. We want to do a big 150. That's 150. Right. Yes. So let's talk about this and we'll do a little bit of reflecting on 150. And I think we'll just about get there. Uh, Andy, are you ready for the summary? I am ready. Perfect. I just realized I had the wrong header up on Facebook. The entire Green Knight review. Awesome. It said the trailer park and not the Green Knight. Irrelevant. Andy, whenever you're ready. Old. No kids allowed on the beach? What? No. I'm not oh, no. Oh, no. We never leave each other. Nothing separates us. So, this is the latest entry uh, horror thriller from director M. Night Shyamalan of some such hits as, almost said The Green Knight, The Sixth yep. Sense, and uh, Signs. I have to say all his old stuff because my, his more modern stuff hasn't, hasn't been real great. Uh, Split was very good, and of course, Glass, the, the sequel to that. Um, we find our characters, uh, our main characters played by uh, Gael Garcia Bernal and Vicky Kreps. Um, our family going on vacation, they found some hidden resort, um, all expenses paid, whatever. They, they show up and they're having a good time. They have two young children and uh, the kind of owners comes up to them at one point and says, hey, we got this secluded beach. It's really great. No one knows about it, but uh, you know, I got a guy that'll take you there. And so they go to this beach. Turns out it's not so secluded. Some other people show up with there. And, uh, you know, they're having a good time. And then uh, they realize a couple of things are strange in that uh, everyone is starting to quickly age. They see this primarily in their children who are, you know, six, seven, uh, immediately start growing up into like nine, ten. And they eventually realize it's happening to them as well. They are trapped on this beach. When they try to get off, uh, they kind of get dizzy and pass out and end up back on on the beach. They don't know what's going on. They don't know what's happening, but they know they, they have to try and escape and get off before... Uh, they essentially age and die on this beach, which will probably happen in like 48 uh, or sorry, 24 to 48 hours. So that's our, our setup. It's a little bit of a Twilight Zone thing. Horror thriller genre. Zach, what'd you think? So I, I wanted old to be a little bit more than what was in the trailer. Right. The trailer um, really came out swinging with the Super Bowl spot that was 30 seconds long. That very quickly explains the beach makes you old. And that's the movie. 
And typically, like, the beach making you old would be, like, the twist at the end of a Shyamalan film, right? Oh, wait, why have we been feeling this way? Oh, the beach! The beach makes us old! That's the gag! But this movie goes the other way and just puts it right out front from the beginning. It's based on a graphic novel and old... Ultimately, I guess I hoped it would it would grow and change out past the beach makes you old. Like maybe it gets complicated. Maybe there's like another part of the beach that makes you young again. Or maybe if you swim out far enough in the current, you can halt the effects of the beach making you old. Like maybe we can have like a temporal pincer like in Tenet, right? Like the beach makes you double old or something. Unfortunately, I'm sorry to report there is not much more than what you see on screen uh, for old. Uh, for what you see in the trailer is what you get. The beach makes you old. That's the movie. I was really I, I shouldn't have gone in expecting more than I did, but I did, and I was bummed. I, I wanted I wanted it to be more than the beach makes you old, but that's that's the movie. So let's talk about it, Andy. Uh, what's the best place to start talking about old? Well, I was going to say I had I came in with very low expectations and I was still disappointed. So it, it's not just you. Oh, good. <laughs> um, great. I was worried. Yeah, great. So uh, th- this movie is it's a big misstep for M. Night Shyamalan. I don't know how anyone approved this movie, uh, greenlit this movie. No other studio. If he weren't financing his own films, I don't think anyone would have greenlit this script. Uh, first of all, the premise is just a little thin. There's not a lot there. It is, you know, the beach makes you old. That's it. Um, <laughs> yeah. th- but I think it does have potential. You could, you know, you could do some, some good horror and, and stuff. He just doesn't do it. And my broad stroke about this is that what M. Night Shyamalan is trying to do or what he used to to do is what Jordan Peele is doing now. Jordan Peele is the man for this kind of stuff and Shyamalan is not and hasn't been for a long time. Um, So my big problem with this is just it's not interesting. It's boring. It's so slow in the beginning like because we know as the audience going in we know what the premise is and it's so frustrating because it takes our characters like the first hour to figure out oh the beach is making us old. It's not just the kids and so that's number one. It, it's just painfully slow to get to the to where everyone's on the same page. The other thing, the depiction of aging just doesn't work very well because um, it's primarily only shown in the kids, and they kind of go from being six to being ten, from ten to being sixteen. You know, so they make kind of these big jumps in time. Uh, but it would need to be a very gradual thing. I think this premise would work better in animation. Uh, honestly, something that where you could gra- very gradually show everyone aging because the adults don't really age uh, and then they start doing some bad cgi and makeup it doesn't really work um and there aren't again there's nothing really scary about this there are eventually some some things that are more interesting um where like for instance if you you are hurt um like let's say you break your leg if if you're aging really quickly means you're healing really quickly which means that bone might not heal correctly like you know uh so there there are some like health related things that are interesting because you know like for instance if you have cancer and you are aging quickly that means the cancer is going to happen quickly so there is some potential here um it's just not interesting and it's not scary and it's not thrilling or any of that yeah you you make a good point like the the gimmick has evolved on a little like before i jump in and say like i just did that that that, you know that it just the beach makes you old there's nothing that's not true uh if you get injured on the beach it's a small injury yeah your injury will heal really quickly because your your cells are aging at a rapid rate and they're evolving and moving and you know whatever um so that is kind of neat but the movie also does not follow its own rules um there there's a character later in the film who is dispatched in a most unfortunate manner um in a way that like basically breaks the rules they've already set out and it's like okay what are we doing here like there shouldn't be a whole lot to this the beach makes you old 
and there isn't a lot to it, but they try to make more of it than there is. I think what's what's surprising about this, Andy, like like you said after 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 I saw this and we started talking about it, I don't understand who would have greenlit this feature. Like who reads this script and goes, "Yep, that's gonna work as a live action film," because like it it really struggles. Like it just across the board, everything from. The narrative discourse, you're 100% right, Andy. Like, it is so frustrating to sit in this film for 45 minutes and wait for the characters to figure out the beach makes you old. We all saw the trailer. The trailer says it in 15 seconds. Like, it just doesn't work. Like, there's a big disconnect there between, like, editing bay and and, and audience member. And Yeah, and- there's... So much time is de- is dedicated to like, oh, well, we got to get off the beach and all these failed attempts to get off the beach. And just like it's wasting so much time. Yeah. And the film opens on them like getting to the resort and all they talk about is things that are related to age and time. Every conversation. The kid's like, look how old you are now. I couldn't do this when I was younger. Like it's just constant. Like all they're talking about is time and age and aging and getting older. And then they get to the beach and they start to get older and it's like, who put this script together, man? Like, is this, they don't talk about, I mean, additionally, okay, let me, let me get off hammer and end that Shyamalan for a second. Additionally, a lot of the character direction is really poor. Our two leads, uh, which is, uh, God, Gael Garcia names. Bernal and Vicky Kreps. Yes. Uh, I should know their names, but they're not, they're not, uh, traditionally English actors and I do a poor job of keeping up with them. I apologize. I will figure that out. Um, <laughs> They're both really poorly directed. Um, there are two leads, right? There are there there are two protagonists. They should be the most exciting, dynamic characters of the bunch. They are very flat. They are very bland. Uh, the few sequences where they interact with each other are like one takes, one shots. Like it, it's like Shyamalan just set the camera up in the side of the room and was like, "Go ahead and say all your lines. I'm just gonna film you for two minutes. Great, let's get back to the beach." And it's like, it's boring and dull, and I don't care about them. And, and, and I don't really understand their motivations. At one point, one of the characters was like, well, this, this woman's sick. And I'm like, did they talk about this before now? I guess they did. I don't really remember. They did have a conversation at one point, but like, I didn't really suss out what was going on there. It's, it's a movie that I think is maybe introspective to the creator. I think, I think Shyamalan probably looks at this, thinks this is a really thoughtful piece. And it's like, ultimately it just kind of isn't, it's a little flat. Yeah. This would make a better short. Or like I said, uh, an animated film. The other thing is, so this is based on um, uh, a graphic novel by a, a French author um, called Sandcastle, and that original novel is about it's about aging, and it's about ex- and death, and accepting both. Kind of as as you get older, um, this film is not about. It kind of deviates uh, from what I've read. The deviates from the novel about halfway through. And again, tries to become this thriller instead of being like a meditation on on the aging process, on accepting death, and all these things. Like that actually sounds interesting to me. That would be an A twenty four version uh, of this. And again, he tried to take this premise and make a, a horror thriller out of it. And and it's not. It's neither of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're you're totally right. It would work better in another format. Like live action is just a struggle. So let's jump into like the the actual meat and potatoes of what's going on here, the thriller aspects of it. Outside of the beach making you old, there's not that much to thrill you here, right? Like, getting old isn't thrilling. It's the opposite of thrilling. It's dull and boring and lame. Like, and and so trying to ascribe that as a thrilling notion in this film is a challenge because you're just getting older, right? That We have a decent cast of characters on the beach. Uh, we've got a couple families. We've got three children initially. 
um, and we've got something like five or six adults and a dog. Um, so we get a decent like Petri dish of 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 characters of different age, range, social status, status to to be engaging with the beach that makes you old, which is kind of neat, right? Uh, we get some characters who are maybe not quite in their right minds when they start to figure this out. So you, so you get some people who are a little nuts and that's exciting. You get people who are crazy on a beach that, that makes you old. That's that, that can be cool. Sure. Uh, you get a couple weapons, right? Somebody brought a, a knife from the dining set from breakfast. Okay. Now we got something going on here. Like now, now we've got some thrills. But ultimately, like, a lot of it just feels really forced. Like, the idea that all of these characters would be trapped on a beach that makes you old and all know, hey, we're all trapped on a beach that makes you old and we can't really figure out a way out, which is a whole other thing that we shouldn't talk about on this show. Why they can't get off the beach, you're going to have to go see it and find out. But it's pretty lame. It's it's lame. Yeah, it's not great. It's thin. It's thin is what it is. Uh, Yeah. Like the, the idea that all of these characters would somehow start turning on each other. is just a little forced. Like it doesn't feel natural. I'm like, I feel like if I was on a beach that makes me old with a bunch of other people, friend or foe, family or friend, I I would be cool with everybody because ultimately we're all getting older. We all got to figure it out, right? Like we have to come together and solve our problems. That doesn't happen in this movie. And it doesn't feel, it it feels like that doesn't happen out of, out of plot convenience. We have to have a bad guy. We have to have something thrilling. We have to have some action. And it's like, you totally don't. The original work didn't. Yeah, it didn't need it. And and this doesn't need it. And trying to force it in feels awkward. Well, yeah. Well, if you're going to write a thriller, it's got to be thrilling. And, you know, this idea of something like, oh, someone's got a weapon, that that could be an interesting thing. It just never is. And, yeah, the cast is real. It's it's this weird stereotype of people. Like there's a an, a guy who's a, kind of an older gentleman with a really young wife. And the, the young wife is like, you know, this beautiful blonde woman, but she's like obsessed with Botox. It's very like it's a little misogynistic. Uh, you know, very obsessed with with herself and her, and everyone is like this stock character. Like it's like you're playing Clue. Yes. It's like, well, we need the yeah. you know, the butler, the mad. Like it, that's how, what it feels like. You like you chose the most stock characters you could think of and gave them the most stock things. Yeah, do. yeah, and they're propped up on screen in ways that are deceptive. Um, I know, I know, obviously, a thriller is going to involve some deception, but like. One character, a couple of characters arrive at the beach before everybody else, and you don't really know anything about them. So when our cast gets to the beach, there's two people already there. That's exciting. And they're like, wait, who's that person sitting over there? What's 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 going on with that guy? I don't know. Okay, well, we're going to find out more about him. And and in the in your seat in, in the theater, you're going, okay, hold on. I know the beach makes you old. I don't know anything about those those two factors over there. Those two people, I don't know anything about. Anything could happen. Maybe they have something to do with the beach makes you old. And like, that's exciting. But that's all resolved within minutes. And and then you just left with the beach that makes you old. Um, it's confusing. It's a confusing film. I, 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 because I, I don't understand why it exists. The, the aging effects. <laughs> Let me talk about that. Yeah. You you already mentioned, Andy, like the, the kids, they just get aged up via other actors. Like, uh, you know, the, 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 yeah. the youngest son who's six years old after, after a couple transitions turns into the kid from Hereditary. Alex Wolf, that's his name. Um, the, the, the daughter turns into Thomas and McKenzie at one point. Um, all the other actors though, all the, all the adults, they don't change into other actors, uh, and their hair does not get gray and their nails don't get longer. 
And and there's a reason for that explained in the film, but it doesn't make any sense because again, the movie it's doesn't lame. the movie doesn't play by its own rules. Yeah. And so they're just hit with like some cosmetic makeup. You know, they just hit them with some fake wrinkles after ever after every scene and they just look a little older and a little older a little older there do get to be some mechanical functions with them that change up uh one character is now enfeebled as she gets older so she can't move around as effectively another character starts to lose her hearing because she's going deaf because she's getting older again kind of interesting kind of cool but like there's not enough there to really reel me in man like i, I kept thinking of christopher nolan's tenet like, which is a movie that lacks a lot of, of, of maybe emotional exposition, which is what this movie is trying to go for. But it's time mechanics and the way it plays with how time works in the film is so captivating. Jesus, I would go see it again just just to watch it and, and try to figure out what the hell's going on. In this movie, the beach yeah, makes like, you old. That's that's the gag. Like, we all know it. Yeah. Well, well, some of the things you mentioned about, like, as people begin to age and it's like, yeah, their vision starts to go, their hearing starts to go because they're being very quickly approaching what is old age that is uh, that is interesting yeah. that's kind of horrifying like okay yeah there's, you know, there's some good body horror in there yeah sure you know to go from w- one minute you can hear and two hours later you're nearly stone deaf like there there's some real potential with that bit of it but it it gets there so late and it does it so little um of it and it's just it's so it's way too long it's yeah. a full two hours and it is just like stop yeah it, it leaves a lot of questions uh you know if somebody's going to advance physically do they advance mentally um you know a couple one of our characters is six years old at the beginning of the film uh and by the end he is older than six i should say towards the end of the film he is older than six uh and he's acting like an adult. And I'm like, hold on a second. You you only got school for a couple years, man. You can't even do like, you can't even do multiplication at this point, right? Division is beyond you. And you're you're like talking about grand ideas to get off the beach. And it's like, are you six or aren't you? Like, hold on. How does this work? Like, and it's not clear. And the movie doesn't, it doesn't yeah. do a good job of like laying those rules out for you. And the rules it does lay out, it later goes on to just kind of turn on its head. And like, I don't know. I, I, I felt like this movie was too long i felt like the gimmick was not deep enough and it felt like they gave away too much in the trailers um for it well, to they be gave away too much because there wasn't much to, much to yeah, give away like they had to right like I, I remember seeing that original 30 second super bowl spot and telling you like oh god i hope that movie's deeper than what it looks like because it looks like that whole movie's in 30 seconds and it's the beach i told you and i told you it wasn't yeah be. no that's that's the gimmick um, I th- I think what one of the comment I wanted to make about like the aging thing and then how they just kind of bump up these these actors. What they really needed to do, and this would have been really difficult, they they should have had like ten actors for each role, age different. You know, like okay, the the adults are like thirty, like mid thirties. Okay, so you have someone at 35, 40, 45, 50, 55, 60. Like you you should have had like ten actors all aged like five years apart. Um for everyone. And that would have been really difficult to do uh, probably, but you needed something to depict that aging so much better than just, you know, CGI makeup. And again, this is why I think animation probably would work better. Why it probably works much better as a graphic novel. Cause you can through those mediums very gradually depict the, the aging process. Yeah. I, I think you're right. Like the children at least get a few actors and actresses to kind of help them age up and they do a decent job. Um, you know, like you're not you're not convinced that six year old and Thomas and McKenzie are the same person, but like you throw somebody in between them, it looks kind of similar. Okay, 
all right, yeah, I, I can see the gimmick here, but the adults don't have that convenience. It's just them, the whole movie. And it's like, okay, like, what? Are, yeah, what are we doing here? Like, are we playing by rules or aren't we, you know? And like, it doesn't, it just doesn't, it just, I mean, it's just, that, cluster, ugh, it's just messy. That just screams budget cuts. So. Yeah, it's, it's just messy. And like from Shyamalan, you don't expect messy. You, you, it might be different. It might be weird, but it'll be clean execution. And this is not that way, um, which is really frustrating. I don't know. I, I don't expect much from Shyamalan these days, unfortunately. Me neither. From from the next Spielberg, man, like we really we really seemed like something was going to happen, and lately he just seems to be in this weird spot. I, I feel like he he likes Zack Snyder. He needs somebody to come along with a red pen and go, "No, we're not doing this. This is bad." He just needs somebody to rein him in a little bit because his direction is okay. His cinematography is probably his best asset. His writing is just slipping, man. It really feels like it's slipping. And it's like, you got to do something, man. This isn't going to work. Yeah. I will say at, this, at the same time, like, he's real hit and miss, and I think more misses than hits. But, like, I'll still go, always go see an M. Night Shyamalan film because you never know. He might, he just might knock it out of the park. Yeah. You know, like Split was a was a big surprise. I really sure, there there were a lot of parts of Glass I really liked. Like there there again, a lot of his cinematography is solid. I mean, you can watch the trailer and see some of it. Some of those shots in the trailer look real good. Like he gets he does a great job of like catching a look or a moment that feels great. But a lot of his dialogue's really slipshod. It's just yeah. I, I the more I see, the less I've come to expect, and that's that's a that's that's a bummer. So. Andy, any other thoughts on old before recommendations? I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend old? I would say hard pass on this or uh, save it for streaming. If you are interested, uh, it's definitely not worth going out in theaters. It's too long. It's misdirected. It's not scary. It's not thrilling. It's really kind of boring. Uh, I could go on. I don't want to bag on it too much, uh, but I would say skip it. Save it for streaming at, at best. Yeah, I'm going to be in the same boat. Save it for streaming at best. Even then, you probably don't need to see it. If you if you really like time movies and you're really interested, I feel like I would encourage you to go find the original graphic novel before you read the, before you watch this. Like I I think you'll have more to take away from it. This movie pulls pulls back the reins on the ending of that novel and it does something different and I don't think it I don't think it's better. And I haven't read the original work, and that's why I can't say for sure, but I just don't think old is the best way to dig into what this idea is supposed to be. This idea of a beach that makes you old. Like, there's got to be a better way to do it. So, I, I don't know. A miss from Shyamalan, in my opinion, and uh, that's old. Now, Andy, one more thing before we wrap up the episode. 150 episodes of Offscript. What an exciting... <laughs> what, an exci- what, what an exciting thing we've done here. Um any any thoughts on 150 episodes of what what this is we've been doing? I can go first if you want to take a minute and uh, yeah yeah you should yeah. go first because I was I think yeah, you yeah. asked me about like what films stand out now I can't remember anything I know I yeah I, I need to go back and look and I think that's the, that's the funny thing about being at, at, at where we're at now with the show um, you know it, it's hard to remember what all we've watched and you you'd think oh it'd be easy to remember a lot of these and and sure a bunch of them yes i remember going and watching it for the show and having a great time other movies like we could go down a list i I, you could hit me at least with a list of of films we've watched for the show obscure stuff you you could tell it to me and i'd be like i've never seen that and so yeah you you did and actually here's your review for the show you can go back and listen to and i'd be like oh god you're totally right and i think that's what what i 
one of the things I've really enjoyed about the show is, is being able to archive the experience of watching these films and having our initial reactions to them uh, in, in this kind of format that we can go back and pull back on and listen to later. You know, that stuff, that stuff really excites me. I, I don't listen to every episode of off script. Obviously I'm here for them, but I don't always go back and listen, but being able to, to roll I back do. to, thank, <laughs> you're, you're our number one fan, Andy, uh, being able to roll back to episode one or episode 30 or episode 50, or the first time I saw Isle of Dogs or the first time I saw Endgame. And kind of get my thoughts on that. Like that's a really cool kind of time capsule that we that we've been putting together here, and and that's one of I think a handful of benefits I've been getting from this show. Yeah, I mean, w- one of the one of the things that I I actually before we started the podcast I had attempted to start like a film review blog uh, at one point, and I got like three reviews in, and I was like, man, this takes forever because <laughs> it took me like two hours to write uh, to write a review. Um, you know, and that's a lot of writing if you're reviewing multiple films. And so what I, that's what I appreciate the most, I think, is that we have a time capsule of our thoughts of different um, films. Because sometimes you kind of forget how you feel about a movie. So it's nice to be able to go back and say, oh, yeah, these were my thoughts on, on this film. Yeah, for sure. And I, I know, you know, working on off script, we have not done a lot of proper like marketing and promotion for it. And we have a, we have a, we have a niche audience, we like to say. And that's okay because ultimately like I think Andy and I just like watching movies and talking about them <laughs> and and this show is a great excuse to do that like in, in a way that, that we enjoy and is simple that we can look back on and we can say oh yeah this is a cool thing we did and, and um, man I really just like going and seeing movies and talking about them so you know for everybody out there who's like why don't you, why don't you guys market more and, 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 and put out more this way or do that well it's because it's not really about that. We just like watching movies. <laughs> and then yeah, yeah. ultimately that's the reason you should do a show like this. I think it's the reason we've able, we've been able to do 150 and have no plans of stopping. I mean, yeah. That's why how the we? show started was we were like, well, we stand around and talk about movies. So let's turn on the mics. Yeah. Let's just start doing it the here. And here we are. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Enjoying doing it. Don't ever plan to stop. Here's to episode 151, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. That's right. All right. Speaking of of episode one, yeah. What are we watching next week? Um, we got a c- couple of new releases. Uh, first is the Ryan Reynolds uh, action video game thing called Free Guy, uh, which opens this Friday in theaters exclusively on August thirteenth. And we also have a new action film coming out on Netflix called Beckett, starring uh, John David Washington. Is kind of a. It looks a little bit like James Bond. He's a spy who's been. Uh, you know, been made or, or whatever. He, he's got to do spy things and punch people. Looks a lot of fun. So that's called Beckett and that's on Netflix this Friday. Uh, I'm curious, Andy, uh, how, how excited are you for free guy? Cause I'm like a, a solid, I'm probably low excitement. Like I've seen so many trailers, right? We've seen that whole, film this, already. this is one of those things I do for the love of the podcast. Yes. For sure. <laughs> uh, because this was, this was another, you know, essentially pandemic, Pandoric, Pandora, Pan, 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 yeah, panoramic. Thank you, thank you. Pa- pandemic film that was uh, delayed and delayed and pushed off, and it's finally coming out. And so now we're going to see what all the th- all the hubbub was about, and you know why this wasn't just going to go straight to streaming. Uh, so we'll see. So no, I'm not very excited, but um, we'll see. I like video games, so yeah, for sure. As for Beckett, like I'm a little worried. It's it's straight to Netflix for a reason, right? a little concerned that it's just going to be like a flat thriller but but john david washington is good man he hasn't turned out a bad performance yet even malcolm marie is good in 
I feel I have reached a point now where like when something's coming out on Netflix, I'm just not excited. For you should it. assume when I it's see, bad. Yeah. Yeah. When I see something, when I see like, uh, you know, when I'm scrolling the, the film forums and I see, oh, new new film trailer starring this great actor coming to Netflix, I skip it. I'm not, I'm not even watching trailers now. <laughs> like if it's going to Netflix, like that's that's the level we've, that's how much I've been hurt. Yeah, well, we are excited for you to hear our review of these two films, of course, and and we're mildly excited to go see them, I promise. So thank you for listening to 150 episodes of Offscript, and if you liked what you heard and you want to hear more and you want to keep up with what we're doing the show, the easiest way to do that is to subscribe. Just subscribe to the show on your favorite podcasting platform so you can keep up with new episodes of Offscript when they come out every single Tuesday, unless we take the week off. We're on Facebook where we live stream the show every Tuesday evening at about 5 p.m. Central. So if you want to check us out, come follow us over there. Leave a like, leave a comment. All right. Let us know what you got going on or movies you want to see. We're on YouTube, we're on Twitter, on Instagram. You can keep us up, keep up with us over there as well. But the biggest thing you could do to support the show, just subscribe. Just subscribe to the show. Maybe tell a friend. Uh, sharing is a big step. All right, well, we, we we can share later, but for now, just subscribe. Maybe rate and review. We can do that next week. Anyway, from all of us to Offscript, thank you for participating in 150 episodes of the show. We've enjoyed doing it as much as we hope you've enjoyed listening to it. And from all of us from Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening. <laughs>